how if if you can recognize a toxic relationship, how then do you get out of one? Do you want to get out of it? Welcome to It's Not Human Sexuality, the show that goes beyond sexuality to reproductive health. Understanding the foundations of reproductive health allows you and the ones you love to make better decisions about your health, mind, and relationships. This podcast is co-hosted by Dr. Betsy Cairo, or Dr. B, and Mandy Johnson. Dr. B has her doctorate in human reproduction and is a board-certified reproductive biologist. She is also a certified sexuality educator with supervisory standing and over 20 years experience teaching at the graduate and undergraduate level. She is the owner of the only commercial cryobank in Colorado and is the executive director of the nonprofit Look Both Ways. Her nonprofit specializes in reproductive health education. Mandy Johnson is a high school family and consumer science teacher with more than 15 years experience and a master's degree in education. She is also a certified sexuality educator and is treasurer on the board of Look Both Ways. The two have been friends for many years and are passionate about changing the way we educate our youth about their reproductive health. So welcome to the latest episode of It's Not Human Sexuality. I'm Dr. Betsy Cairo, or Dr. B. And I'm Mandy Johnson. With us today is Linda Bonner, author of the book, Just Three Things. Linda is passionate about empowering others to succeed. Every situation is different. Every couple, our partnership, our family is different as well. As a breakthrough imposter syndrome coach, Linda works with high-performing executives to ignite their self-confidence, maximize their potential, and be the leaders they were born to be. Communication is with yourself. Showing yourself the love, the care, and the self-respect that you deserve is incredibly important at a time like that as well. Combining her 14 years of experience in education with her wealth of professional coach accreditations, Linda provides business executives and organizations with an outstanding personalized coaching service that educates, empowers, and encourages powerful, successful change through action. Welcome, Linda. It is so good to have you here. Ladies, it is fantastic to be here. I'm really excited to speak to you both tonight. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. I just want to start with your book. I mean, it's it's pretty new, and uh, I just got a digital copy of it myself a few days ago and started reading it. And I, I went through and I skimmed all the um, actual three little things so that I could get a gist of where it was going, but haven't read deeply about all of them yet. But I, I love it. So if you could just tell our listeners about your new book. Thank you so much, Mandy. So it's just three things, and it's all about making change life more simple, more easy, and more manageable. You know yourself that we often fear change, we resist it, we just don't like it, and it often seems like hard work. So the whole point of the book is to make that easier for people across a number of different areas in their lives, whether it's personal relationships, that personal relationship you have with yourself, relationships that you have with others, how you deal with life's everyday challenges, those tougher curveballs that love that life loves to throw at us as well, including love, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I was as I was going through the book, I I was thinking about how so many of the topics that you cover are things that I cover in my Teen Choices class, and I was thinking, what a great book study this would be for my for my students because it covers basically everything that I cover in the in the semester, but in such simple, nice, easy chunking. You know that 
um, just know I'm, I'm already thinking about how I can use this in my classes because I think it's great stuff. Thank you so much, Mandy. You know, my first book is for teenagers. My first coaching book called Press Play. So I wrote that one for teenagers first four years ago now. Is it very similar to just three things and its content? I think it is in content and in format and in the way it's intended to be used as well. The whole idea of these books is that people can, people of all ages, right, can dip in and out of it. You don't have to read the whole thing, but they're both designed to be action orientated and solution focused as well. I feel that's that's so important and real, authentic, real stories, just real things that are going on. Yes. And I like that you have action steps after every thing that you should do. There's an action step and and some some further thoughts that if you want to go deeper, you can. But um, you could just take action right now. And yeah, yeah, I think it's a great. uh, Now what? So what? Yes. Get get going get on it yes. do it exactly you know? it's one thing yeah. to read it it's another thing to do it yeah it's not just uh, a you should as in although you said don't shit on yourself but I like that. um you know it, it's it but it, the, the book the whole book is not just you should do this it's here's how and that's what's great about it i have to admit that until you that i didn't really know there was such a thing as a breakthrough imposter syndrome coach I never heard of that before. Uh, so I'd love to hear more about what that is. And and if we could start with the basics, like What's maybe it? not everybody knows what imposter syndrome is. So can you tell us a little bit about that? So the Breakthrough Imposter Syndrome Coach, my whole objective is to work with people across genders, jobs, whatever it is, to break through that imposter syndrome, that feeling of being a fraud, a feeling like you don't belong, a feeling that you've got to where you are because you're lucky instead of because you're because of your own skills or your own talents or your own merit. And the reason I say across genders at the start is because the phrase itself was originally coined back in 1978 by two female psychiatrists, actually, who through their studies figured out, realized that it was women in high-powered positions who were primarily affected by this imposter syndrome. And now that's changed huge today because it's not just women at all. And it's most certainly not just women in high-powered positions either. We see people across genders in all kinds of jobs, all kinds of walks of life, at some point in that time thinking, gosh, what if somebody finds out? What if somebody finds me out? Even though there isn't necessarily something to be found out, but that feeling of, you know, looking over your shoulder thinking, I don't belong here. People are going to know. So it's, it's really interesting. So I help people get through that and then move forward confidently beyond. I love that. And I, like I said, I I can relate to imposter syndrome in that most of my life, I'm very confident in who I am and what I do. But if you put me in a room of adults and expect me to talk to them about something that I'm an expert in, I get, I turn into a 16 year old inside and I just, am like, I don't belong here. I shouldn't be the one up here. And it's the weirdest thing because even if I know the topic really well and I know I'm an expert, I feel that inside me. So yes. when I first learned this term, I was like, oh, that, <laughs> yes, that, that's what I have. <laughs> that's it. But not always. So, you know, it's interesting. I do have a quick question. Is the opposite of imposter syndrome where somebody probably is uh, an imposter? An imposter. <laughs> And they don't know it. Is there, is there a term for that? Because <laughs> we've met those people too. Like, how did you get this job? You know, I yeah. know. Wait, you don't I belong know. here. <laughs> exactly. I think that sometimes when somebody has perhaps too much confidence and not the competence, 
Mm-hmm. There you go. Yes, yeah. that's a great way to put it. So speaking of confidence, is imposter syndrome related to self-esteem? I think context is everything, right? And so it can affect different people, different stages, different times. However, it also then shows up with, we say, people who have perfectionist tendencies or any of us who are experiencing low self-confidence or low self-esteem at that point in time. You know yourself that these, when we're experiencing these things, it's not just, oh, I feel like I have low self-confidence. They come in pairs. They come in groups. There's a whole party of these things coming along together that just add and sometimes add fuel to that fire as such of, I really don't belong here. Well, I don't feel great in this anyways. Other people are obviously thinking the same thing. So it's not just the imposter and it's not just the the self-esteem or the self-confidence. It's the other things as well that come along with it. It's like they spiral. Yeah. So can imposter syndrome affect people in personal relationships as well? Like can can somebody feel an imposter syndrome in their own personal relationship and have that? Oh, wow. Yeah. Of course. What might that look like? If I can tell a really quick story. <laughs> yes. Yes, please. We had friends around for dinner the other night. My husband is incredibly creative, okay? He's just one of these fantastic people. In fact, one of my girlfriends yesterday said to me, is there anything he can't do, Linda? And I'm like, no, actually, he's pretty good at everything. <laughs> and so we're sitting there and our friends are, oh, guitars. Are the guitars yours, Linda? Are you musical? And I said, nope, not at all. They're Steve's. And she went, oh, okay, fine. Beautiful photos all around the apartment as well. Oh, you're really good at photography, Linda. Is this you? No, not me either. <laughs> oh, I see a sewing machine there. I see this here. I see that. Are these yours? Not me either, girls. Not me. <laughs> I wrote a book, though. I wrote a couple of books. <laughs> like, oh, Steve does so much. And he's so good. He'll turn his hand to so many different things. So there are times, you know what, 12 years later, when I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, really? You know? What's he doing here? <laughs> What's, he doing here? <laughs> What's he doing here with me? You know, what, what do I bring to the table? So I think right. it's, it shows up and I laugh about it. Okay. And humor is fantastic. And at the same time, there have been times, maybe not in my marriage now, but in previous relationships or even with girlfriends where I've been thinking, gosh, why are they friends with me? They're yeah. so hmm. fabulous at what they do. Really? Me? Oh, yeah. I think I see that in high school students a lot trying to be somebody else because they don't feel like they they fit. And I think that's where a lot of peer pressure in, in teenagers comes from as well, is that I don't belong in this group. I got to show them that I do by doing whatever cool things that they're doing or not cool things that they're doing. Um, do, do you think that can be fear-based? Definitely. Because fear, fear for me can do one of two things. It can immobilize you mm. um, or it can motivate you to mm. move forward because the concept of being in that position is what moves you out of it, right? I, I need to move out of this situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think fear maybe is attached to the imposter syndrome can be very immobilizing. For me, yeah. it's very it's very mobilizing. Like I'm probably one of those people that- It motivates you to, to not to, be an to imposter. Not be feeling that yeah. way, right? So I need to get <laughs> out of it. <laughs> That's good. And if we- Mandy, I love what you said there as well about, I think this affects, again, it's people of all ages at different times as well. We all want a sense of belonging, regardless of what age we are. None of us want to be ostracized. And so we're, we're very quick to figure out if I want to belong in this particular group or this community, and they're not accepting me right now, what is it that I've got to do instead? And I find young people, you know, 
I just think sometimes we don't give them enough credit. Yeah. They're so smart. They sometimes have this label of, oh, they're lazy. They're not really in tune and everything else. When it comes to their relationships and especially with their peers, they are very quick to know what they have to do to fit in and belong. Yes, they are. And they figure it out real quick and get on it. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. They really do. It's, yeah. And, and I never really thought about it in that way, but it's, it's definitely a strength that they have. Yeah. Um, so I know that uh, part of your book and, and some of what you do is about relationships. And mm. um, I know that a big topic for us is, is about toxic relationships and that sort of thing. So I'd love to just hear a little bit more from you about relationships. Like, what are some of the challenges that you think people typically face in, in personal relationships with others? I find I always go to myself first, and I don't mean that from a selfish perspective, right? I think any of this work that we're doing, I do the self-reflection first, and then I think, right, what have I heard my clients come to me with? What are those everyday conversations? And this is also interesting because I love to check in with what are our beliefs around relationships first. If we've grown up with this, this belief, or if we've taken on this belief that relationships are hard, relationships are challenging. Marriage is tough. Marriage is very hard. You have to work at it. It's always a struggle. Then that, unless we've pressed pause and we've explored those beliefs, they still play a role. They filter into how we then show up and how we behave in our relationships. Mm -hmm. So if I'm constantly thinking, this is a struggle, I need to work at it. Relationships are hard. How am I showing up? Am I showing up as my true self? Am I wearing some kind of a mask? Am I allowing the imposter syndrome to come in to come in and take center stage? And so some of the a lot of the challenges come down to communication. Yeah. I think, you know, because most most people problems are communication problems. So when we show up to relationships, regardless of what that relationship is, whether it's, I don't know, like a, a teacher, a teacher and a student, parent and child spouses, partners, family members, whatever. How am I communicating? Am I communicating openly and honestly? And how am I receiving the communication that's being given to me as well? Am I doing this deep dive and trying to analyze every single word of it? Am I taking people at face value? And how am I behaving? Because that's the biggest form, it's the highest form of communication as well. Am I yes. congruent in what I'm doing and in what I'm saying? So I feel this there's definitely that. There's a, the communication part of it. And for me, another huge part of it then is expectations. What are my expectations of myself in this relationship? What are my expectations of the other person? Now, growing up before I did all of this fantastic work on myself, I had completely unrealistic expectations of myself and of other people around me as well. Can you give us an example of that? Like what, what, what would you say would, was unrealistic? I often use the word should because that then identifies an unrealistic expectation. So even if I take, we'll say Christmas, okay, Christmas coming up and gift giving and, and things like that. And I'll think to myself, well, Steve should know what to get me. So he should know. <laughs> I know, right? Here's the, here's oh, the I laugh, but yeah. <laughs> That's the guess what I'm thinking game. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Know. <laughs> I, I love this. And um, so here's a couple of examples of it. And this is one that I grew up with. Okay. My mom, uh, my mom and my dad, uh, th they're awesome. Absolutely awesome. 
my dad could come home perhaps late from work one day. Okay, my mother will have had dinner ready at 4.30 or 5 p.m. And so my dad will come home late and he'll say, how was your day, dear? And how, like, how are you? And she'll be like, fine, slam the dinner down in front of him. <laughs> and we're sitting around looking at mum going, we know you're not fine because we've been at home with you from school for the last couple of hours. So we know you've been stomping around the place, right? But here you go, you tell dad that you're fine. What is that? Or the silent treatment, fine. And then nothing. No, oh, and then nothing is said. And my husband wonders where I get it, where I learned that. You know, we'll be like, do you want to talk about this? Shut down, nothing. Communication, right? It's taken me so long to communicate, to learn how to communicate openly and honestly with my husband. Yeah. And, and especially if you don't have the right models. It's the, so he, he should know what to get me for Christmas mm-hmm. at this stage. Yes. We're, we're, we're together long enough. And what's that? Mm-hmm. You know, mind reading? If he was able mm-hmm. to mind read, surely I'd have him doing the lottery every week. No, <laughs> if, that, if that was the case, instead of playing this guessing game with me. Come yeah. on, Linda. And yes. again, I laugh about it. And th- yeah. these are the things that we sometimes do. What are some, some tools that we can, I know that your book has a few, but what are some tools that we can use to build better relationships? I mean, communication obviously is a big piece of that. What are some other things? I love silence, which is really strange for someone who loves to talk so much. I talk a lot. I have learned to be silent more and more, whether that's in my personal relationships or my professional relationships. And I've learned to really listen. I used to have this not very great tendency to jump in, to add my own two cents. And sometimes, yes, because I wanted my own voice heard and I felt that that was sometimes more important. But because I had this need, you know, the the deeper I dug into this, ladies, the more I realized that it was about, I have this need to connect. I really want this other person to know that I hear them, that I understand. And in doing that, my way at the time of doing that was as soon as that person stopped talking, I'd go in with my story and wait till I tell you. And and the exact same thing happened to me. And when it happened to me, this was how I felt. And I can connect with you on this because we're sharing the same thing. And lovely, right? There's a positive intent behind my behavior. What's even better is listening to really listen to really hear what's being said and what's not being said like my mum I'm fine <laughs> gosh mum really yeah. <laughs> she's reading my book as well at the moment so I hope I hope she's come to that part where she's like oh, this is what I've been doing all along <laughs> I so see I think, myself I know I think listening is is just so so powerful And one of the other things that I've learned a lot as well is, you know what, if it's in the past, leave it there. Mm. You've got to, when you have an argument, when there's a confrontation or some kind of conflict, sorry, that is not an open invitation to go. Now, two years ago, you did the exact (laughs) same thing when I was with my parents. I remember it. I've made a list of it. You know, don't keep score. It's not a, and if you haven't dealt with this, If it's not in the past and it keeps coming up, then that's your invitation to work through that. Admittedly, I sometimes struggle with the not bringing up past stuff. The kitchen sinking. Oh, the kitchen sinking. It's not even so much kitchen sinking. It's the it's the 
on this date, on this date. <laughs> and and I I know it's not good even when I'm doing it, but I struggle to stop. And you were standing there and you were wearing that shirt and I was over here and <laughs> this is and so we real. Relived, we relived yeah. the whole thing and yeah. I did this and then you said and then she said and he said. Well, and then you get mad about that. And, and then you remember. Like, yeah. And they're like, I thought we were having a beer. <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it, and it escalates. It does because we, we step back into it. We step back into that memory, it triggers those emotions, and all of a sudden, we're there again having that same conversation because we've not dealt with it. So I know that one of your steps, I suppose I'd say, yeah. um, to getting your needs met in a relationship is to be more assertive. And it's it's great to say, hey, be more assertive. And well, and I it's something I talk about with my students a lot and whatever, but do you have any tips or ideas or or... Well, tips is the best word I can think of for somebody who has never been assertive before in their life, how they can step into that. Because I feel like being assertive when you never have before definitely could bring on some imposter syndrome. Of course. Oh, yeah. I feel this is really, really important because what we don't want to do is force ourselves to go from zero to 100 straight away in one conversation. <laughs> Do we even know what it feels like to be assertive? Because just like you said, Mandy, it can feel icky, right? This mm -hmm. isn't me. It can feel wrong. Perhaps we've also been taught that being assertive isn't good. Perhaps yeah. as women, keep quiet. Don't, don't rock the boat, whatever you do, Linda. It's like, oh gosh, there's one I haven't heard before, right? Yes. And again, I'm a work in progress with this as well. The learning to be assertive with Steve. And one of the things that I do my best to do is to frame the conversation first. Here's what I'd love from you. Because we know that some of our friends with all their best intent, they'll go to problem solve or fix or the, here's what you need to do. Here's what mm -hmm. you need. Here's what you should do. So I'll often say, if I know that I'm struggling to be assertive in a situation, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Do you have time to have that conversation with me now? And once you've got that foundation is laid and you know that the, that the other person is with you, there's nothing wrong with being honest about it. This is hard for me to say, but I'd love, I'd love the time to say what's in my mind. So if you can give me two minutes of uninterrupted time, or here's what I'd love from you. I know that you're great at problem solving in this situation. I really need to be heard. Can you do that for me? So checking out and of course look this depends on the type of assertive conversation we're having as well you might want to go through all of those things for something that's you know that's maybe not as challenging for you but even thinking even thinking about it in that way of you know is it okay for me to voice this right now and once you have starting with your feelings owning that and I think even before we go into that conversation Mandy owning that feeling ourselves, getting clear on what it is that we're feeling, on what we're experiencing. What is it that bothers me about this situation? What is it that I need? So getting that out of our heads, writing it out can help us get clarity on it, or even discussing it with a friend that we trust as well. Look, I'm thinking of having this conversation because I don't feel comfortable I feel like I'm being disrespected or I feel like there's, there's just something just doesn't sit well with me about it. 
That's great. I think that's really good advice. I just have a side thought. We also use the word aggressive. Like, so when someone is assertive, they're often referred to as being aggressive. Especially women. Especially Especially women. women. Right. And so, yeah. And so I think it would be good for our listeners to be validated in that concept from you about really what is the difference between assertive and aggressive? Because we can be led to believe that we're just aggressive. Yeah. It's so bad, isn't it? Uh, it, Assertive women are, you know, they're are usually just called a bitch. I mean, that's absolutely, especially in the workplace, especially, yeah. I mean, yeah. if you're assertive, they, you, they you tend to like be seen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find this fascinating and walking down the street one day, sorry, there's another really quick story. Is no, that this okay? is great. We love stories. Tell all the stories you want. Love them. I'm walking down the street one day and I see this, I'm walking down with a male friend and I see this woman walking towards me. She is fabulous. She's absolutely owning wherever she's off to or whatever she's doing. She's on this power walk. And I'm just like, my gosh, woman, you should be, should. Here's where it's okay to use the word should. You should be on a catwalk (laughs) or strutting somewhere. Absolutely brilliant because you just look so good. And once, as soon as she walks past, I'm like, wow. And my friend turns to me and he says, well, somebody's full of themselves, aren't they? Oh. What? And I said, we need to talk about this. And he said, did you see her? And I said, I certainly did. You couldn't miss her. And I love it. I I find that really interesting. When we're assertive and confident, not everybody gets it. Not everybody appreciates it. And sometimes, sometimes that's their own thing that they're struggling with. Who is she to be walking around like that or to be so confident or to ask for that raise or for that in her relationship? what does that even mean? Who is she to be doing that? And so there's a huge difference then between being assertive and being aggressive, right? And it's so important for, I think, people again of all ages to know that when we're assertive, we're out to get that win-win for everybody involved, whether it's two people, whether it's a family situation or a group of people at work, whatever it is, everybody wins when we're assertive. And the conversation could go something like that, like this, taking responsibility for how you feel using those I statements. So I feel unheard. I feel disappointed when I'm spoken over. I would love it if when I'm talking, I could be given just a minute or I could be given that time to say what I want to say. And then, of course, the floor is yours or something like that. How does that sound to you? What are your thoughts on that? Because assertiveness is also inviting the other person's ideas or perspectives on it as well. That's part of the win-win, coming to a compromise. Maybe there's something that the other person would like from you as well. Well, actually, now that we're having this conversation, Linda, I sometimes feel, okay, great, let's, let's have this conversation. When we're aggressive, it's about us winning, getting one up on someone. Me, 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 me. And it often includes blame. You make me feel. When you talk over me, you make me feel like this. It's ridiculous. You know, I demand that you do this. You know, or or this. There's no, there's a lack of respect as well. Assertiveness is about respect. Aggressiveness. And I'm not saying that we never be aggressive at all. There is a context for everything. Aggression can be useful. It, you know, it can, 
it can show somebody what we really, what we really, really feel. There's a time and a place for all of these things. What we really want to do in the majority of situations is express ourselves assertively and not aggressively. It does it definitely comes across much, much better and, and creates a lot less tension. I mean, the, the you statements of you did this mm -hmm. and you did this really are impressively effective at getting a fight started. Um. <laughs> it's a great fight starter. It really is. So you've, you've mentioned listening and you've mentioned I statements. Do you have any other communication tools for, for our listeners that, that work well to improve communication in relationships? I was going to say, I think, and this is part of it as well. I feel, I think, I believe, I know it's important to respond instead of react. Now, I say that and I say that really cautiously because I hear myself going, no, you didn't really do that yesterday, did you, Linda? Oh, gosh, this book is coming back to bite me on the backside again. So in full transparency, again, I'm a work in progress. Just because I write about these things, it just means that I get them correct all the time. Sure. And I, I love that as well. So it's that reminder of, Am I reacting to this from a place of emotion? So it's almost like thinking two steps ahead as well. Because when we react from that place of emotion, especially if it's something that we're not comfortable with, that's going to lead to something else. There is another guaranteed money back. It's guaranteed yes. to lead to some kind of conflict. <laughs> now, if I do my best to pause even for two seconds and I ask myself a better question, like what's a better way for me to respond in this situation? I'm immediately going to get a better answer from my brain. When I ask that question, my brain is hardly going to say, yeah, throw something at him and then bring up that thing from last week as well. <laughs> my brain is more likely going to say, yeah, I would probably just ask for a timeout or I would just say, maybe just say you need some, you, you need something, express your needs in some way. Yeah, It, it can be so powerful, something as small as, pressing pause, asking yourself that question, choosing a better response or a response that serves you and potentially the other person at that moment in time as well. And I say that it doesn't mean that it's easy to do. It sounds so simple. A lot of these are skills, communication skills, practice, progress, progress. I like that. Got to practice okay. everything if you're going to get better at it, right? Gosh, yes, yes. Do you think we're losing our ability to communicate because of technology? Mm. Yes and no. I think for some people, what I've noticed throughout the last 18 months is that, in fact, it's encouraged people to communicate more. It has encouraged people to communicate in a different way. It's almost, dare I say it, it's forced people have had to they've often had to do something different especially in professional relationships can't just pop around to the corner anymore talk to somebody in the next booth or somebody in the office down the corridor because people are at home and so so much gets lost in translation this is the most of the one of the most common communication challenges that I've heard in the last 18 months as well they don't get what I mean they don't get my tone I'm being funny here but they're not picking it up mm. I think there's that part of it. And then there's also the downside to that is, well, that's not what I meant. You know, when I sent you that message, that's not what I meant. Oh, I'm sorry. What did you mean? 
how many ways can I misinterpret those, what, two or three words? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, well, I was thinking of something else at the time. I was doing something else at the time. But how about you don't multitask? And when you're, when you're communicating with me, here's my ask of the day. When you're communicating with me, that you're with me and that's it. So I think there's pros and cons to this as well, most definitely. Yeah, and I think you you brought up something that that I mean I I would have never really thought about before. But the the way you said you know when you're communicating with me, communicate with me or be with me. But when people are texting, multitasking is the I mean nobody's concentrating on only that text. You know that you might be sending multiple texts or somebody might be on social media while they're texting you or watching TV or cooking dinner or driving or you know it's it's very rare that while we're texting somebody that that's the only thing we're doing is concentrating on that conversation. But I, I would have never really thought about that as being as negative as it sounds when you said it. <laughs> Be with me, demanding aggressive Linda. <laughs> but, I, but I think that's important. Like when you, when you are communicating that, yeah, let's, you know, let's both be here together if we're trying to have this communication. Exactly. But, but that's not easy on text. And so here again, it's another scale, right? It's, it's something else that perhaps we've ended up training ourselves to do it in another way. That's so sure, of course I can multitask. And it's like, really? Uh, why have you sent me this? What message has your mom just got if I've just got this? It was like, <laughs> you know, or it's like, oh, I just need to do this one thing. I'm just going to message here. And I'll often say, poor Steve is getting, he's getting bad press. If he was here, he'd, he'd completely agree as well. So I'll say to him, uh, I mentioned that to you the other day and I sent you a message about it. And he was like, no, he's like, what do you mean? And he'll come back with, this is so funny. I love it because it's so honest as well. He'd be like, was I eating dinner at the time? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you, you should know better not to talk to me when I'm eating. I said, why? Because that's, I'm concentrating so much in my food. Ooh, you're always telling me to be more mindful. Some do mindful eating. I'm like, Gosh, all of this stuff is going to come back and bite me on the backside, isn't it? <laughs> yes. When you were talking about that, I mean, I, I teach all the time and I'm like, don't think that because I'm teaching this means that I'm perfect at this or that I <laughs> yeah. follow all yeah. these rules all the time. You know, no. it's right. I, I, I have the knowledge. It doesn't mean I always apply it to my life. <laughs> and I'm here to share the knowledge with yeah. you in hopes that you'll apply it to yours. <laughs> And when you're working with me, yeah, and when we're talking. <laughs> I mean, but this we're all works so in progress, right? I mean, that's, that's you it. know. As long as we recognize it. Okay, that's something that I do. I recognize that. I'm not sure how to change it. That's very different to, I don't do that. That's not me. That's you. That's your fault. That's your mistake. Like, well, there's two of us in this. It can't always be one person's fault. I know. Is that true, though? Can it... Can it not always be one person's fault? Well, there's two people in a relationship, so both people are contributing to whatever's going on. This is interesting. I don't, yeah, I, mm. I hear you on that, you know, but sometimes there's just one person that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. my opinion. You know, you're, you're yeah. the coach. You, you see a lot. You're the so, expert. <laughs> not, not in your field, but I mean, I, I mean, what, do you see that? Do you see like, sometimes there's just one person that's the problem? I do. And I see it in both personal and professional lives, right? Here's an example of our toxic relationships. You've got one person who's really trying their best. You've got another person who just doesn't care at all. 
the person who's really trying their best is sometimes taking far too much responsibility for the other person's actions and behaviors as well. Well, that's probably my fault. And it's the tone as well. And it's how they speak about it. That's probably my fault because I really didn't communicate that clearly with them. Hang on a second. I was in that room with you when you communicated that message. So yes, take responsibility for the message that we're communicating and own it. If the other person chooses to completely ignore it, do their own thing anyways, and be disrespectful and aggressive and anything else, and that's consistent over time, that's one person doing it in that relationship. The other side and the professional part of this then, perhaps is somebody, perhaps it's a boss, perhaps it's a colleague, and they're just not aware of what their behavior, of the impact that their behavior is having at all. They might be aware of it and they don't want to change. They don't see the need to change. They might say, well, this is, this is just who I am. And it's like, really? Mm, come on now. So yes, it does take two to tango and, you know, to have that argument and that conflict. And Betsy, I agree with you as well. In some situations, it could be that there is one person. Context is everything. See, Mandy, did you hear that? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, how'd that come out? But anyway. um, I'm winning this. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that's, I I think you make a, a, a really important distinction is the other person isn't trying, doesn't want to try. Do you think that's their motivation? I mean, maybe they don't want to be in the relationship. Maybe that's why they're not trying. I don't, I don't know. I think there could be a number of different a number of different factors behind that as well. I will do my best to assume positive intent until I know otherwise. And people, I believe that people will do the best they can with what they have at that time. So some people don't actually have the skills to communicate. And yes, that could be an excuse in some situations as well. The person just doesn't care. And that's really sad. The person, the person doesn't want to change. You need to adjust to my ways. You need to adjust to the way that I'm doing things. And if you don't, if you don't want it, you can leave and I'll find someone else who'll do the exact same thing as well. Whereas when we want to, when we care, we love, trust and respect the other person, we'll take that feedback on board. It might not be easy to do straight away, but we'll take it on board and we'll, we'll, do our best to figure a way forward with it. I'd love to make these changes. I'm not sure how. Do you have any advice or any support? It's very different. So, I mean, if in it, like you said, an issue that might recur over and over again, if it's something to the effect of like, like the example you brought up of not, you know, you're saying something and they're, whether they're actively ignoring you or just yeah. not listening or whatever. So say that happens over and over again. And over and over again, is that, I mean, is that indicative that somebody doesn't care? Or if it's best intentions, are we talking about that's the best they can give? Mm-hmm. Like which way, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if it's if it's a consistent thing, is that just the best they can give and they just can't hear? Or is it mm. is it something that you have to step back and then say, no, this is this is something that you must not care enough to to consider changing or consider the changes? Yeah. And again, the context is incredibly important. Every situation is different. Every couple, our partnership, our family is different as well. But getting very clear about what the challenge or the situation is. In my example with Steve, I adjusted. You know, I'm like, 
honestly, if he's having dinner, if he's on his phone, if he's talking with someone, then that's not the best time for me to tell him something really important. So I check in. I'm like, do you have two minutes? This is really important. And he'd be like, yeah, of course I do. Yeah. Okay. So when I say it's really important, I mean, stop typing. It's that important. Okay, fine. And I mean, like, turn around here and look at me as well. And I bring humor into it because that works for us. It's what works for you in your relationship. Now, if that was something that I would consider a lot more serious and it's still going way over his head and I'm still not getting the respect or the response or whatever it is that I need and that I would like, that's very different. When is it a toxic relationship? Yeah. When... What are the, what are the where does it where does that line that, right? yeah where yeah. does that line get crossed yeah. to where it becomes a toxic relationship and how might you recognize it yeah because recognizing it is key i hear so many people who don't recognize it or don't want to recognize it for what it is any abuse of any kind anything physical emotional spiritual mental all of this this gaslighting Consistent lying, uh, control. Uh, Gosh, this came up, and I think I've actually given some of these examples as well in my book. But this kind of thing of, you know, the the control, whether it's financial as well, whether it's emotional, where are you going? And I'm I'm not talking about, again, there's a huge difference here between being concerned for someone's safety. Like if Steve says, what time do you think he'll be back this evening? It's not trying to control me. Right. You know, it's, and um, if you're going out for a run where, you know, uh, right, I'm going, I'm taking the usual route around the park. He's not trying, you know, there's a huge difference between that and you need to be back here at 8 p.m. And mm-hmm. if you're not back here at 8 p.m., that's so different. Yeah. Any of that and any of this oh God, body shaming, any kind of body shaming, I brought a body shaming there because I've had a recent conversation with somebody about that as well. You know, you'd look at, and I'm not saying that this is a male-female relationship either. It can be, you know, again, it's across the board in relationships, mm-hmm. full stop. You know, you'd look better if. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I'd find you more attractive if. Mm-hmm. Look at her. Look at him. Gosh, she's attractive. She's beautiful. And again, I'm not saying that you can't admire someone else's beauty. Of course you can. I do it frequently. I'm like, Steve, look at her. Isn't she gorgeous? Or, oh, I love his haircut. It's not, you know, something like that. Instead of, he would never turn around and say to me, look at her, she's beautiful. You know, I'd find you more attractive if you looked like her. Right. I'm sorry, what? How dare you? Get out. (laughs) (laughs) Take your dinner with you as well. (laughs) And don't text me. (laughs) Don't bother listening. Just any of that. And it's so important that we identify it, you know? So it, again, it's not this kind of thing of, oh, it was meant in a really nice way. I'm sorry. How many ways are there to turn that into a really nice way? You would look better if. Right. I'd find you more attractive. I think you'd be sexier if this. Right. Get out. There's, there's no compliment in that. <laughs> I love positive intent. Even I can't, and I'm one of the most positive people I know. I can't find any in that. Yeah. So how, if if you can recognize a toxic relationship, how then do you get out of one? Do you want to get out of it? And that's part of the problem. If 
any of this kind of change, whether it's leaving a toxic relationship or creating any change in our lives at all, if we don't want to do it, we won't. And sometimes, unfortunately, it, things have got to get bad before we create change. Yeah, just like everything, got to hit rock bottom, right? Oh, yeah. But then, I mean, hopefully, hopefully you're not in a toxic relationship to begin with anyways, okay? If any of you out there listening are in a toxic relationship, I'm sorry to hear that. And there's always a way out. You always have choice. You do not have to stay with that person at all. And again, context is everything and everybody's relationship is different. Having a conversation about it. If you definitely know that you want to leave the relationship, you've got to be very clear. This can be challenging as well. What are your boundaries around that? What does it look like to leave that relationship for you? You know, is there verbal communication afterwards? Is there, is there any kind of communication at all that needs to take place? So it's getting really, really clear around that. Communication is with yourself. Showing yourself the love, the care and the self-respect that you deserve is incredibly important at a time like that as well. And moving forward. But what if you're in a family relationship? Can you just leave your family? So what about that? And one of the things that I think is crucial here is assertiveness it doesn't have to be aggressiveness assertiveness you know what it is not okay and here's where the you can be really powerful it is not okay for you to talk to me like that it's not there doesn't have to be any kind of an explanation it's nothing so when it comes to these toxic relationships and communication within them or around them Sometimes less is more. I'm done. What I mean by this, what I mean by I'm done is I do not want to see you again. I will not communicate with you again. I will not receive. I will not pick up the phone to you. I will not be doing these things. Goodbye. So, so you mentioned that they brought up the question of, you know, do you want to leave? Yeah. What, why might somebody want to stay in a toxic relationship? It's lots of different reasons here as well. And I'm reminded of that fear. Okay. Sometimes it's the fear of, well, perhaps I won't find anybody else. So if it's a romantic relationship, it could be fear. We might not be willing to see the relationship for what it is. But a, a lot of it is that fear, fear of leaving, fear of staying, fear of judgment. What will others think of me? This is my marriage. I've been married to this person for how long? Oh, her marriage is going down the drain. Did you see? Because we don't often, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors, do we? It might be, there might be something else to be gained. Could be a a secondary gain, financial gain, some kind Mm -hmm. of emotional gain or power in some way. But people stay in these relationships because they feel there is something to be gained from it. We're not stupid. We, No, it's not the best thing for us, but there's something, there's a deeper value, there's a deeper criteria that staying in the relationship helps us to honor. Do you think that some people are quote unquote trained to be in a toxic relationship because of family dynamics so that they maybe not consciously, but subconsciously seek out toxic relationships because that's what was modeled for them and that's what they they know. That's all they know. That's what they dealt with. You know, it's all it's all they know. Okay, we don't know what we don't know. If we've Mm. grown up in the environment where a toxic relationship is the norm, 
what else do we know differently? We go and visit our friends' houses if we have friends and that's something that we do, okay, as, as, as young people, as kids. And we're like, what's going on here? This is really different. And it could be vice versa, that our family is quite loving and warm. And that's how we, we grew up thinking, right, this is how relationships are. But we visit other people's homes and we're like, oh gosh, this isn't good. So we can learn what to do and what not to do. But those family environments, those relationships that we're in from a young age are so important. So important. Look, look what I picked up for years. Silence, shutting down, not communicating. I'm fine. <laughs> Clearly you're not. <laughs> and that's, that's something small and something simple. You know, I never, ever, ever saw my dad be abusive in any way towards my mum at all. In fact, it was drilled into me from such a young age. My dad constantly said to me, you know, this, he goes, you'll, you'll go through life and you'll experience things and, you know, whatever he goes, you'll make mistakes and that's fine. He said, the one thing that is never okay, ever, 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 is if a man raises his hand to you. He said, if he says something and if he does something, you go straight away. That's never an excuse. And you come home to me and if I'm not here, you go home to somebody else. You find someone, he goes, but you walk. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying that it's only men who do that. My dad, that was my dad saying it to me. It could yeah. be anybody abusing us in a relationship. So what if you see somebody else in a toxic relationship, but they can't see that they're in a toxic relationship? How do you oh, gosh. handle that? Yeah. Here's a tough cookie of the evening, isn't it? <laughs> You can lead a horse to water, ladies. You can, as I say, you know, and you can't make them drink. I've added a couple of things that I'm saying. You, you can lead the horse to water. You can run them around. You can put the salt lick down beside the water and the horse still might not drink. We will only see what we want to see. And we'll see more when we're ready to see more. So you can talk to your friend. You can talk to the person that you're worried about and that you're concerned about in a loving way. I will always emphasize the the compassionate, loving way. Tough love does not work for everyone at all. And when we do that, being very factual, these are things that I see or that I saw happening. These are things that I have heard. This is what I hear on a continuous basis with this other person in your life. That's not okay. Because feeling, you know, when we say, I feel that you're not safe in that relationship, that's lovely and that's really nice. Feelings aren't facts. When it comes to this kind of a situation, present the facts to the person. This is not okay. It's not okay that you're spoken to that way. It's not okay that you're treated that way. Offer support, offer, offer to listen. We're not judging. The last person somebody needs us to be judged in that situation. Do you think it's okay though? I mean, sometimes in situations like that, if it's a really good friend and you, you've hung in there, yeah. And, and you hear that you, they come to you, they talk, they, and, and after a while, it just sort of robs your soul. Do you think at some point it's okay for you to go, I'm out, like, I got to step out, like, you figure yeah. it out, you figure it out, but I got to save me. Because it, it's one thing for to say, I'm here for you, I'm here for you. But after a while, you're kind of like, but I'm not, I got to save me because I can't watch this anymore. Mm -hmm. Does that make you a bad person? No. If anything, it indicates that you've got a healthy boundary for yourself as well. And I love one of my, <laughs> my best friends will say to me, uh, I think it comes from um, maybe her, her mother-in-law or something. It's great. 
don't ask my advice if you're not going to take it. And that's my own mother's voice in there mm. as well. Yeah. You know, so what should, I, what, what should I do here in this situation? Okay. And if I tell you what I think you should do in this situation, I think you should get out. Oh, well, I can't. Right. Tell me more about that. Well, I can't because of blah, 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 blah. So it can be holding someone accountable as well. You said you were leaving. What's keeping you in that relationship? Mm, yeah. And mm-hmm. having, those, having those conversations. But yeah, there's nothing wrong with a boundary. Get this a huge difference between having a healthy boundary for yourself, just being a bit of a, a rubbish friend about it. It's very different. Mm. And sometimes a little sprinkling of tough love. I'm not saying that it doesn't work all the time. I w- personally, I will always go with care and compassion and love first to the best of my ability. And then if I see it going on, I have been that person to then go, you know what? This is absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Your self-esteem, your self-confidence is rock bottom. I can't even look at this situation anymore. Here's your get out clause. Come with me now. Stay with me for a couple of weeks. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Right. Like, yeah. like you said, you can only see what you're wanting to see and you can yeah. only hear what you want to hear. So, yeah, I know. Like I would yeah. tell my students, um, the only person who's going to change their mind is the person that they're receiving the abuse from, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes, yeah. right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, it's, it's hard, though, don't you think? Isn't that, as, as a coach, that's probably one of the hardest things you see. It's really hard. And there's always a lot more to it. You know, people, yeah. it's especially if a long-term relationship or a marriage is concerned as well, people will often say it didn't start off like this. People change. Yeah. We, we don't always change for the better. True that. And all, we don't always <laughs> change in the same direction. Right. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Not at all. Well, this has been a, a wonderful conversation, very, very informative. I'm wondering before we end this for the night, if there's anything that we missed or that you want to share that we didn't already hit on that you think is really important for our listeners. I have just loved this conversation. You two are fabulous. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we think great. you are too. <laughs> it's just brilliant. There's so much of everything in this, right? There's the honesty, the authenticity, the, oh, I do that, the, oh, you do that as well. <laughs> and, there's, and there's a wonderful sense of humor. It's brilliant. It's such a healthy conversation. Well, well thank you again for your time. This has been s- such a wonderful conversation. Thank you. I think we've all been lovely, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> She was awesome. She was awesome. She was so candid and real. And I can imagine she uh, can definitely get people out of their imposter syndrome for sure. sure. And uh, what a treat to have the privilege to have her come on our show. I mean, it's just so. She's very authentic. I know. I I just love it. I was so honored that people want to be on our show. Want to be on our show, especially like. You, you is that the up. imposter syndrome? It is, out? there it is. I right can't there. believe she would be on our show. show yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. she she was I I and I'm I'm looking forward to reading her book. Like I I really did like I was very honest. I skimmed it and I looked at all the chapters and I looked at all her yeah. tips and they're great stuff. I have them all here. Yeah. But I I'm notes. looking forward to I didn't know it was going to be that many. 
when I started with sticky notes. <laughs> and I want to see the teen one too. Is Me too. Press pause. Press yeah. play. Mm-hmm. Press play. Press play. Ah. And so, um, but I'm looking forward to actually reading this and, okay. and yeah. checking it out. This podcast was created to promote Look Both Ways and the textbook written by me, Dr. Cairo. Look Both Ways is a nonprofit organization based in Loveland, Colorado, with the mission to educate our youth about their reproductive health to make informed decisions for their future. We do this by educating the educators through professional development, and we also put on free conferences for both teens and parents of teens and preteens. Textbooks used in schools are donated by Look Both Ways to eliminate the money obstacle for schools piloting or adopting our curriculum and textbook. As a nonprofit, we are always fundraising and accepting donations. For more information about Look Both Ways, our fundraising efforts, or to make a donation, please visit us at lookbothways.us. That's L-O-O-K-B-O-T-H-W-A-Y-S dot U-S. This is Dr. B. And Mandy Johnson wishing you well. Be sure to catch all of our episodes of It's Not Human Sexuality on Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're even on iHeartRadio. This podcast was produced by Peach Islander Productions. <laughs>